We see in the first reading that God promises, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. If only they will recognize the true God. Yet we then have this scene with a Canaanite woman approaching, calling out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. Well, it sounds like she got the message better than many of Jesus' fellow Jews did. But what does Jesus do? Well, first he ignores her. He doesn't say a word. But she keeps calling out after him, enough that his own disciples start to get annoyed. So he then rejects her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sorry, this is a members-only club. But still the woman would not be dissuaded. Lord, help me. So how does Jesus respond? This time he insults her. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. That's a profound insult. You still hear that used as an insult in the Middle East, calling someone a dog. But even worse, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus had said, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine. So Jesus equates dogs with pigs, which was an even greater insult. Both dogs and pigs were unclean for kosher purposes, but at least dogs could be kept as pets. No one wanted to even be near a swine. It's very tempting to doubt Jesus here. He seems to be acting with a kind of cantankerousness that we don't normally associate with our loving Savior, with an all-good God. But in order to understand it, we have to understand two important things. First, about salvation history, and second, about the spiritual life. First, in the order of salvation history, God chose the people of Israel first to hear his message. They were the first heirs of the covenant. As St. Paul would write, they are Israelites. There's the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. There's the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, is the Christ. But although the glory of the Old Covenant was theirs, it was also their burden. The slavery in Egypt, the wandering in the desert, the captivity in Babylon. And Israel struggled to remain faithful to the Lord, despite his many wonders to them. For the same reasons we do, the attraction of sin and the ease of taking his mercy for granted. And the reality of Israel's election also meant that other nations would grow and develop, by and large, without contact with the true faith. But in their development, while there was much error and much evil, it also created a corresponding hunger for the truth, which they perceived was lacking in their imperfect rituals and rites. This opened their hearts in love and humility. It is why, centuries later, As the church spread throughout the world, it sometimes took only a little prompting for many peoples to embrace the Christian faith, because it answered the eternal longing of their hearts. 
This is why the Second Vatican Council would say, in the dogmatic constitution, Lumen Gentium, the light of the peoples. Nor is God far distant from those who in shadows and images seek an unknown God. This seeking in the shadows finds its fulfillment in Christ, who is the light of the world. So this period of seeming separation from the immediate experience of God was, in truth, a period of preparation, simply different from the one that Israel went under. And all of this works out according to God's plan. For St. Paul tells us that the Gentiles now receive Christ precisely because, by and large, the Jews rejected him. Just as it was believed that the Jews first received the covenant because other nations were not ready for it. But now, in receiving Christ, the Gentiles themselves will be a light to Israel, the original heirs, showing them the glory of the faith. Just as Israel, through Christ, was once meant to be a light to them. And that's why St. Paul will write, For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Just as you once disobeyed God, but have now received his mercy because of their disobedience, so they now have disobeyed in order that, by virtue of the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God delivered all to disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all. The presence or the absence of the Old Covenant both prepared the Jews and the Gentiles for the coming of Christ, each in their own respective way. The second thing we have to look at is the spiritual life, which applies to us now as Christians regardless of whether we originally received salvation in Christ as a Jew or as a Gentile. The experience of the Canaanite woman demonstrates for us what is called spiritual dryness. What St. John of the Cross, the great mystic, called the dark night of the soul. It's an experience of dryness in prayer and the felt absence of God in our lives. It tests the strength and the persistence of our faith. Can we keep praying? Can we keep loving? And can we remain true to the commandments even when we don't feel the corresponding love of God in our lives. And the fact is that this experience, which the church attests to so many times in the lives of the saints, shows that God uses this spiritual dryness or this dark night as a way of drawing us closer to him. Like the experience of the Israelites wandering in the desert, or suffering captivity in Babylon, we experience God withdrawing from us so that we can pursue him all the more fervently, even when we don't feel that he is there. God chastises us in order to show us that he loves us. In this sense, the dark night of the soul encapsulates the experience of both the Gentiles who did not have access to God and the Israelites who did not understand the hidden mysteries of God's grace that was active in their history. But we see that even in the story of the Canaanite women, woman, as Jesus first ignores, then rejects, and then seems to insult her, God is not really distant. 
The fact is, is that Jesus is traveling in a Canaanite region. And in the passage just after this, he immediately, or he miraculously feeds a crowd of 4,000 by multiplying loaves. This group would have been predominantly Gentiles. And they spent three days with Jesus, with him hungering, before he then fed them. So Jesus is hardly trying to avoid the Gentiles. But he is giving them, in short form, as God did the same thing that God gave to the Israelites in the desert. A taste of what it means to cling to him by faith. Just as God wants us to learn to persevere in faith even when we do not have some consolation in our spiritual lives. Jesus is testing this woman's faith. Her willingness to suffer dryness, even a sense of rejection and shame for the sake of him. And we see in this woman, in her utter willingness to use anything that God gives to her, he says to her, it is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Well, she says, fine, I am not going to argue with you. Instead, one of the great comebacks. Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. This was the greatness of her faith. God gave her lemons, and she made lemon custard. Perhaps one of the most profound experiences of the dark night of the soul occurred to Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who reported that this was her experience of prayer for most of her life as a nun. But we see in the life of this holy woman the fruit of her perseverance and her continuing trust in the Lord, even when she did not feel that he was there. She wrote in her spiritual diary, I have begun to love my darkness, for I believe now that it is a part, a very, very small part, of Jesus' darkness and pain on the earth, on the cross. And the voice of Jesus echoes, O woman, how great is your faith.